Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, there may not be a chapter in Scripture that is more well-read and well-known. And we recognize that there's a lot to learn from it, even if we've heard it a bunch, even if we've heard it in maybe some painful settings, like a memorial service for somebody we loved. And so we ask for your grace over this time. We ask that you would make these words fresh for each of us, myself included. May the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in our hearts be pleasing in your sight, a rock and a redeemer. Amen. Psalm 23 might be the most commonly heard chapter in all of Scripture. You probably have heard it at a memorial service, but I want to start by talking about the first kind of concept that it brings up, which is the concept of a shepherd, which involves sheep. I grew up in the suburbs of Houston, and there were no sheep where I lived, but I did have two encounters with sheep as a kid. My family always went to the Houston Zoo, which is still one of my favorite places in the world. And back before mad cow disease and hand foot mouth disease and hoof and mouth disease, and before hand sanitizer, there were these things called petting zoos where you could go and actually interact with like a barn animal. Like you could actually go touch a lamb or a duck or something. Like if you got bit, oh well, rub some dirt on it, right? Like that was kind of the thing. And so I remember going to the Houston Zoo and I remember playing with these animals. My siblings and I, we always went to the zoo. My mom, God bless her, to save her sanity, got us to the zoo at least once, if not twice a month. I mean, we put that membership to work. Like four of us just unleash us on the zoo. And we were always looking forward to the petting zoo. And the petting zoo was fun, and I remember touching a sheep for maybe the first time, and I remember feeling the wool, and if you've ever felt the wool on an actual sheep, it's not soft. Like, you don't want to make a sweater out of this right now. Like, something else needs to happen for this to become what I thought it would be. As I got older, uh, we started going to another great event, the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Today's just like a tourist advertisement for Houston, you guys. Like, just start taking notes. The Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo to this day is still one of the biggest rodeos in the Western Hemisphere. It's huge. And back in the day, back in my day, they had the rodeo in this little place called the Astrodome. Maybe you've heard of this. The eighth wonder of the world, largest indoor air-conditioned stadium, blah, blah, blah. Everybody here is going, yeah, we had the kingdom, buddy. Like, come on. Well, the Astrodome was better. Sorry. And next door to the Astrodome, the rodeo would be in the Astrodome, next door would be the livestock show. So think like giant exhibition hall where you can wander around, and you've seen this if you've been to the Puyallup Fair or even the Evergreen State Fair, the little pens with hay on the, on the floor, a little gate, and then there's some kind of animal, right? A cow or a lamb or some other kind of livestock. And then there's usually a kid, a teenager, who's in the 4-H club, at Puyallup or at Roy or in any of these little towns, and they love that creature. Whatever creature is in that bin with them, they have like cared for that animal, they have raised that animal, and it's awesome. Like it's such a cool thing to see a kid so invested in the life of something else. But I was not that kid. I was the kid that walked by and looked in on the 4-H kid and went, okay, that's cool, that's different. I have a bike, you have a sheep, that's nice. My interactions with sheep were not personal. They were passive. The author of our psalm today, of course, the the primary author is our Lord, but the author, the human author, David, was deeply familiar with sheep. His whole career, he started out as a shepherd. Actually, the first time we meet him in our scriptures, he is referred to as the runt of the litter of a shepherding family. And so he probably wasn't all that different from those 4-H kids that I saw at the rodeo. 
deeply invested in the life of his sheep. He would not have played around with language about sheep or shepherding because he knew it, because he understood it. So we're going to study one of his famous poems, maybe his most famous poem, which starts with this image of sheep and shepherds for the next couple of weeks to get us ready for Easter. This is our Lent sermon series. And if you didn't grow up around church, Lent is simply the process of coming up to Easter so that when Easter happens, we are more receptive to it. We are ready for Easter to hit us. So often, it feels like we just come up to Easter, like, oh my gosh, it's here. That's crazy. We are going to do our best as a congregation to get ready for Easter by looking at Psalm 23, going through it line by line. I'm really excited about this. I have never connected Psalm 23 with preparing for Easter, but it makes a lot of sense. David was one of Jesus' ancestors, right? Jesus came from the house and line of David. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. We'll talk about that at the end of our service today. And it's appropriate that this is how we are led into that time. So there's three goals for us as a congregation for this sermon series. I want to prepare us for Easter. And Easter's coming April 1st, 9 and 11 a.m. right here at Peter Kirk Community Center. It's going to be great. Starting today, the way, one of the ways I want us to be more prepared for Easter is by looking around at the empty seats that we have here in the congregation and to say, who is it in my life? Maybe someone within one degree of separation from me, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, who I would love to see in that seat next to me on Easter. And yes, I know April 1st is the beginning of spring break for a lot of families. I get that. Just want to offer a pastoral encouragement. If you haven't planned your spring break yet, plan it by beginning in worship with Easter. Schedule your flight for later in the day. Take off in the RV on Monday. Go Griswold on it, right? But start with Easter. I can't imagine a better way to start a vacation than by being in worship on Easter. So remember that as you think about it in the weeks ahead. We're going to prepare for Easter. We're going to learn from David's life. So this is a poem that David wrote, and we're going to get into the poetic language. But there's another poet who said something profound that I want us to think about as we consider how do we learn from David's life. Robert Frost wrote this great line years ago. He said, no tears in the poet, no tears in the reader. Think about that. No tears in the poet, no tears in the reader. If the poet's writing something, if you're a creative person and you're feeling something as you make your art, as you create your poem, as you write your song, your audience needs to feel that too. And if you grew up around church like I did, it's really easy to hear Psalm 23 and keep it up here. And my goal for us is to move it to here. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help us do that, is going to help us feel the tears and the angst and some, maybe even some of the shame and the frustration that David felt throughout his life and then expressed it through this poem as a joyous celebration of his God. So my hope is that we will feel the joy that David felt in this poem. Final goal for us is that we worship well. So we're going to talk about elements of our worship as we journey toward Lent together. So those are our three goals, and our thesis today is actually our scripture reading for today. It just goes like this, the Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with me? The Lord is my shepherd. That's what we're going to spend our time talking about. And as you can imagine, looking at the bulletin, looking at the outline, this week's outline was fairly easy for me to come up with. We're going to look at Lord, we're going to look at shepherd, and we're going to look at my. That's how we're going to go through our journey today. So join me in turning to Exodus. We're going to look at Exodus 6 in just a moment. We're going to start, though, with some understanding of this Hebrew word, Yahweh. The Lord is my shepherd. The word that is used there is Yahweh. What does that mean? Yahweh is the most personal and intimate name that God presented to his people. 
He has all kinds of names in the scriptures, Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, but Yahweh is special. Yahweh is different. Yahweh is a little bit like when you see someone you really love and you're excited to see them and you give them a hug, even though in our culture, hugging, we got to be careful, I get all that. When you're so excited to see someone and you just can't help yourself, you give them a hug and you love them and you're so celebratory of that relationship, that's a Yahweh kind of moment. That's an intimate friendship moment. That's not a distant handshake. That's not the bro hug. That's we're in this together. This is that type of relationship. This word Yahweh opens the door to that type of relationship. When I was in high school, I had a guy investing in my life, one of the youth leaders in my church. His name is Trey, and I've talked to you guys about Trey before. Trey actually helped lead me to Christ, really helped transform my faith. And to this day, if I call Trey, Trey picks up the phone and he goes, Fletch, what's up? That's my nickname with Trey and with just this handful of friends from high school, Fletch, right? The Fletcher family in the back's like, yep, I got you. I feel you. Fletch is a name of familiarity and of deep-seated love. And if all y'all start calling me Fletch, that's great. I'll take it. Trey, I know, will always call me that because he loves me, because he was there for me in some pretty dark times in my life. It's reflective of this depth and intimacy of relationship that I enjoy with few other people. That's what I'm talking about when we talk about Yahweh. When David uses the name Yahweh at the top of Psalm 23, he is saying, I get who this God is. This is not some abstract cosmic clockmaker who set the world in motion and walked away. This is a God who's intimately involved in my life. And as we'll see as we study David's life, this is not a life that was written perfectly. This was a life that unfolded with lots of pain and failure. And that's where we get to our first thesis, or our first uh, big idea. God is both powerful and personal. Our God is both powerful and personal. And he reveals this to us through Yahweh. So, Exodus 6. I promised we'd get there. We're getting there. Here we come. Train is getting into the station. This is a moment before David arrives on the scene. This is when the people of Israel are on the run from the Egyptians, or they're about to be on the run. They're led by a man named Moses. Moses and David could have gone toe-to-toe in terms of brokenness, in terms of failure, in terms of struggling as leaders, and yet God used them. So, let's take a look at this. This is where God basically has a DTR, define the relationship conversation with Moses. This is so fascinating. Exodus 6, starting in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. That's the Hebrew word El Shaddai. But my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they reside as aliens. I've also heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are holding as slaves, and I've remembered my covenant. Here's what God is saying. He's saying to Moses, look, Moses, The leaders who came before you, these really important icons in the faith, they knew me at a particular level. And we've been through seasons like this in our lives, right? Where we have this childlike wonder, this faith that is born of love and excitement, like what our kids are experiencing right now in their classes. We go through that stage, but then God gets closer, or we get closer, or we find out more that we love about God. Or we go through seasons where we're wrestling with God and it feels like we're distant, but what he's really doing is moving us closer to him. God is saying to Moses and the people of Israel in this moment, I'm getting closer to you. I am moving closer to you. I'm going to keep my promises. And as a sign that I'm going to keep my promises, you get to call me by my name that I share with the people that I love most. It's like Trey calling me Fletch. 
He shares an intimate and familiar name with them. Think back to the time that you were in a conversation with someone and they revealed something kind of personal to you. And maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was a patient, maybe it was a student, and you kind of went like, oh, wow, okay. That's where our relationship is now. Someone swung wide the door for you to step into their life, to maybe speak into their life in a really profound way. And it's a good thing. Like, this is a joyful thing. This is not some awkward, like, why did you just tell me that? This is, wow, we're entering into a new stage in our friendship. I was having lunch with uh, a young friend of mine, someone I'm kind of mentoring this week, and he's telling me about the situation that he's in, and it was just such a beautiful moment. He's kind of stuck between two things. And he looked at me, and I was so humbled by this. He said to me, what should I do? What should I do? And he wasn't kidding. That was a vulnerable moment, right? And we have moments like that where people younger than us or maybe a little bit not far along in life than us or they're new in their faith, they look at us and they go, can you help? And they're being sincere as the day is long and they're inviting us to step into a new stage in that relationship. I love that stuff. I think that's where incredible things are done for us as people. It's where incredible things are done with our God. And God is saying to Moses, like, I want you to step in. I want to entertain your questions when you say to me, what should I do, God? I want to be that sounding board for you. I want to be the one that shapes that for you. This, in Exodus 6, is a life-changing, world-changing invitation. Because to this day, it sets apart the Christian faith from all the other major world religions. This is where the personal nature of God, people who follow God and other, people who pursue God in other traditions, they would say, my God is like this, my God is like that. This personal involvement's not there. And that doesn't mean that we're better. It means that we have found the way to the one who really loves us and is shaping us. And we've got to help people see that this is the God that they need to be following. God invites us to step toward intimacy, and he most powerfully does this through Jesus Christ. So, our God is both personal and he's powerful. Where do we get the sense of power? If you read down a little bit further in Exodus chapter 6, God makes these promises to the Israelites. He gives them purpose. He says, I'm going to move in the hearts of leaders of the nations around you. I'm going to open doors for you that you couldn't open for yourself. I'm going to take care of your needs. And then he says this powerful line in verse 6, I will redeem you. Can you say that with me? I will redeem you. Who says that? Who gets to say that? We talk about like redeeming coupons. God talks about redeeming people. To redeem, at least according to Webster's Dictionary, means to rescue by paying a price. To rescue by paying a price. What's implied in that? It's implied that you know how to rescue someone because you know their situation. You can't rescue somebody if you don't know that they're hurting. You can't rescue someone if you turn a deaf ear to where they are in their life, in their struggles. You have to know what kind of trouble someone's in to help get them out of trouble. God knows personally the kind of trouble that the Israelites are in, and he says, I'm going to make my power and my provision available to you, and I will rescue you. I will redeem you. And that is an ongoing promise, and I am so grateful for that. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for a little while, I want to just invite you to consider, who have you, who has been the person that heard your distress call? When you were in a moment of crisis, like I was with my youth leader, Trey, where I could come to him and say, look, I, like, and I did this as a teenager, I don't know what my life is supposed to be about. I thought my life was supposed to be about making good grades and trying to be successful and all this other stuff, and I'm really struggling with this. Like, I still feel empty. I don't understand. Trey heard my distress call. Who has heard your distress call? 
Have you heard someone else's distress, distress call recently? Were you available to it? Did you pause and actually take time to kind of go, oh my gosh, this is what's happening right now. I need to be receptive to this. It's a holy and powerful moment. And I want to connect this to worship by saying, when we gather to worship God, we are thankful that God heard our distress call. Amen? We are thankful that he has taken people like Trey and put them in my life to hear my distress call and to say to me, I got you. I don't know the solution, but I know the God who does. That can gather us together in worship in such a powerful way, you guys. We can just begin by saying thank you to our great God. We can begin by saying thank you for the rescue that he has extended to us. So when we gather for worship, even later as we break, as we sing, as we are praying together, as we are blessed and sent forth, we can go forth as grateful people because our God has rescued us personally and powerfully. So that's how we connect that to our worship. That's how we understand Yahweh, the personal and powerful involvement with our God. We worship him because he's rescued us. So now let's talk about the second part where we talk about shepherd. And the theme for this section is this. We thrive under the care of the shepherd. We thrive under the shepherd's care. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, that's not the first time you've heard that statement. There are books, there are seminars, there are wonderful sermon series from far greater preachers than I about that very theme of the shepherd's love and care. And I'll tell you what I do with statements like that. I keep it up here in my head. And my goal for us in this section is to move into the heart, to try to understand the shepherd's love and care for us as it penetrates the heart. The way that we can do that and the way that I think we can connect this, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is to think about this question. Why do I need someone to care for me? Why do I need someone to help me out? Our Western individualistic society kind of hates this, but it goes like this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe you're thinking this. I'm pretty good. Like, I'm self-sufficient. Why do I need someone to care for me? I, I, I need a shepherd? Like, are you kidding? Like, I went to college. Like, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I'm an engineer. I built better bootstraps. Check them out. They're sweet. I know what I'm doing. I'm okay. And here's where it hits the heart. It's actually a place. And the place is this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you're not, every one of us arrives at a place in our lives where we need more than we can engineer on our own. We need more than we can engineer, than we can make for ourselves. And I'll call this place the wilderness. The scriptures call this place the wilderness. And what David's life teaches us, this is kind of the theme for this section, is eventually we will hit the wilderness. So you can turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to hit the wilderness. You're going to hit the wilderness. People weren't too keen on saying that. Okay, I'm with you. I smell where we're going. Now, this is the context I want us to think about this in. Read 1 Samuel 23 and 24 this week. If you don't have a good devotional going, pick that up. It's the story of David's journey before he was anointed king, when he is on the run, some scholars believe for years, being chased by the murderous King Saul. Saul wanted to stomp him out. He did not want David to take over the throne. Can you imagine being on the run for years? Like, I can't, I can't fathom that. And yet David lived that out, and that is part of his story that is being revealed through the Psalms. And this is where he knows what the wilderness looks like. He lived there. He lived in the desert, and he tried with all of his might both to take care of himself to the band of brothers that he had around him and to try to figure out what the heck should I do with this guy who's trying to kill me. 
David understood the reality of landing in the wilderness and not knowing what to do. An immensely helpful book uh, to me just this past week, and I know for many, is Eugene Peterson's Leap Over a Wall. Have you heard of this book? Eugene Peterson is the translator of the message. He's written tons of helpful books on the scriptures. And this book is about David's life. It's about the life of King David, the journey that he was on. And the chapter that Peterson writes about the wilderness, I think, is really helpful. So listen now to these words. There are times, no matter how thoroughly we're civilized, when we're plunged into the wilderness, not a geographical wilderness, but what I'm going to call a circumstantial wilderness. Everything's going along fine. We've learned the language of the country. We've gotten a job. We've decorated the house. We've signed up for car payments. We've made a schedule that imposes some order on our lives. And then, suddenly, we are beside ourselves. We don't know what's going on within us or in another who's important to us. Our feelings erupt in us that call into question stuff that we've never questioned before. There's a radical change in our bodies, our emotions, our thinking, our friends, or our job. We are out of control. We are in the wilderness. We hate this, don't we? We hate it. Like I can just feel many of us just uncomfortable with this idea that we come to these places in our lives where we are out of control. But it happens. Divorces happen. You lose your job. One of your kids just turns their back on you. Someone that you thought you could trust betrays you. And you are in the wilderness. And we have all been there. And it is not easy. But Peterson continues by giving us a word of hope. I readily acknowledge that this circumstantial wilderness is a terrible, frightening, dangerous place. But I also believe it is a place of beauty. There are things to be seen and heard and experienced in the wilderness that cannot be seen and heard and experienced anywhere else. When, not if, when we find ourselves in the wilderness, we do well to be frightened, but we also do well to be alert, to be open-eyed. In the wilderness, we're plunged into an awareness of danger and death, and at the very same moment, if we let ourselves be, we are plunged into an awareness of the great mystery of God and the extraordinary preciousness of the life he's given to us. If Peterson is right, and I think he is, then we should hear this. We should know this. We will thrive under the shepherd's care, especially in the wilderness. That is where we will most realize and live into the reality of our need for the shepherd's care. When my family and I were in Colorado, uh, this was uh, several years ago, we were serving in a church there and my wife, uh, we found out we were pregnant, which was great. We were excited. And all of a sudden, and if you've had kids, you know this experience, you start to go, we're pregnant. Oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Oh my gosh. Like, what are we going to do? How are we? And I just started to worry and I just spun off into that place and it was tough, man. But I remember this. I remember sitting in worship at our former church and I remember feeling the stress, like, how am I going to take care of my kids, my family? What, like, oh, this is so much to take on. And I had this thought and I really do think this was the Lord speaking to me in a really gracious way in the moment. And of course, it came in the form of a rhetorical question because God knows that's how I'll actually pay attention. This is what I heard. Travis, can I not take better care of your family than you? Can I not take better care of your family than you? I would be reminded of that reality for the rest of the time that we were in Colorado, the rest of the journey I've had as a parent. Can I not take better care of them than you? 
when we'd go on adventures, when we would go literally into the wilderness in Colorado, when we'd be driving along in the wintertime and the temperature gauge on the car said 15, negative 15 degrees outside, and I'd start to think to myself, oh my gosh, if we get stuck in a snowdrift, if something happens, like what are we going to do? Can I not take better care of your family than you? Maybe that's just what you need to hear today. It was certainly what I needed to hear in that time because it reminded me, it helped move from my head to my heart that the shepherd is going to take care of us. The shepherd is going to show us the way home. And if you regularly are part of a church, if you're regularly part of this church, you know that one of the cries of our hearts as leaders as we try to shape this place into more and more of what God wants us to be as a congregation is that whenever people come here, whenever people come to this place, they feel this sense of being at home and just being able to rest and be free, and experience a stepping away from the wilderness. If your life right now in the marketplace, in the hospital you work for, in the school that you go to, if it feels like wilderness, you can come here and be free. But I want to challenge us by also thinking about those for whom coming here would be an experience of wilderness. If you want to picture, again, that friend that you want sitting next to you on Easter, that person that you want to come here and be a part of our life together when paradise comes, There are a lot of things that we do that someone might say, that's weird. Like, that feels strange to me. That feels like wilderness to me. Why do you sing? Why do you pray? Like, what is all this? Increasingly, our corner of the world is a corner of the world where people are so unfamiliar with this, this very thing that we're doing right now. And we always want to be the kind of church that says, if this feels like wilderness to you, get on in here. We want to take away what makes the wilderness scary. We want to make this a place where you are connected and loved and cared for. And a church that bends its knee in service to the skeptical and to those who may not feel welcome is going to be a church that thrives. And I'm excited for us to continue to live into that. So, how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by the way that our God instructs us to do that. This is from the book of Ezekiel, and I love this. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places to which they've been scattered on days of clouds and thick darkness. All the places that they've been scattered. Think about the break room at your office. Think about the foyer at your kid's school. Think about the trauma room where people come in off the ambulance. These are the dark places where people can get lost. And they're just normal places of business for most of us. But that is where our shepherd God says, no, I want you to go there. I want you to be there. I want you to be my presence there. And the place that you might go, that's the most ordinary place in the world to me. Well, someone may be there and they may be experiencing the wilderness and you need to be with them. And we need to be with them. That is how we live into this calling to be the sheep that our shepherd cares for. So, We've learned that God is both powerful and personal. We've learned that we thrive under the shepherd's care, that we're going to hit the wilderness. We didn't like saying that to each other. Just going to name it. That was hard for us. I don't know why, but we are going to go to the wilderness. Maybe just we're all in the wilderness right now, right? We should just have a camp out. Let's do it right here. I want to talk about this last part where we talk about mine, the personal nature of the shepherd. And I want us to go back to that image that I kind of created for us at the beginning of walking around at the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo and seeing the 4-H kids caring for their sheep. Those 4-H kids can't ignore their sheep. They can't just say, I'll get to it later. 
That is the primary focus of what they are trying to do at that moment in their lives, and it's for the sake of that sheep, to create thriving for that sheep. No shepherd can look at their sheep and go like, they'll be fine. It doesn't work like that, especially not for sheep. God's love for us is like the 4-H kids caring for the sheep, and it is not like my spectator observation of the sheep. Remember, I walked right by those sheep. Remember, I touched the sheep at the petting zoo, but I didn't care for that sheep. I didn't do anything. I just showed up and got to look at it. Our God's love is personal for us, and my challenge to us about worship is, do not let your worship be like my spectating of the sheep. Do not let your worship be just passive, just watching, just kind of seeing what's going on. Be like those 4-H kids when we come in here to worship. Receive that kind of love for our God. And one of the ways we can do that is next week when paradise comes, be a part of the leadership of that. Be a part of making a meal, preparing something wonderful so that when these folks come, we welcome them with our best foot forward and we make it personal. So many of us in this room have gotten involved in this church by serving and leading, and I am so grateful for that. There are many more that need to step in and lead and make this a personal time. This isn't just something that we show up to. It's something that we participate in. And I want us to continue to move in that direction together. Psalm 23 is how every memorial service I've ever done opened. That's what I start with whenever I do a memorial service. I haven't done one for a while but I actually really enjoy it because it's an amazing opportunity to surprise people with the gospel. In Psalm 23, if you've been in a memorial service, you hear this read and people just kind of relax a little bit when they hear it. It's like they're, they're more ready to receive something in that moment. And my theory is when we hear these words that are familiar, even familiar across cultures, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. When we hear that, there's a deep part of us that just says, oh yeah, that's who I am. That's what I need right now. I love it when people come up to me after worship on Sundays and they say, you know, I'm so glad I came to church today because I just needed to worship. They're saying, I just need to have my shepherd care for me. So as we think about the week ahead, as we think about preparing for Easter, as we think about getting our hearts in the place where paradise and all these other great things that we have going on really are things that we're invested in, remember that we will never stop needing a shepherd. We will never stop needing someone to care for us. And as we look around at our world, this is a big challenge right now. We look at places of brokenness, we look at places of pain and violence and despair, and we can say to those places, to those situations, we need the shepherd. The people who are hurting right now in Parkland, Florida, need a shepherd. Students across the United States, teachers, people who are going to go up to their schools, whether it's Marjorie Stoneman, Douglas High, or other schools, they're going to look at those schools differently this week. And they need a shepherd. And those of you that are in the marketplace that are getting beat down by the cynicism and the focus on the bottom line and all the stuff that goes on there, as wonderful as the marketplace is, your colleagues and your coworkers need a shepherd, and you need a shepherd when you go to work. And I need a shepherd. So let us look at the world around us that God loves, that God died to save. And when we are filled with a temptation to despair or to look at something awful like another school shooting and to say, nope, we need a shepherd. Our leaders need shepherds, need the shepherd. Those kids need a shepherd. Our kids are being shepherded right now. May we continue to move forward into that reality.
I'm going to invite Bree and the band to come join me back up here. And as we finish our time together today, I want to give us just a homework assignment. I want to challenge us this week to read Psalm 23, to really get into it and see if you can feel the tears of the poet. I want us to start praying for Easter, April 1st, no fooling. That's when we're going to be together. And I want to encourage uh, all of us by a practice that a friend of mine described to me this week. This friend uh, struggles with anxiety. He was having some pretty serious panic attacks the other day. And he told me that the only way he got through this most recent panic attack is that he would breathe in. And as he breathed out, he would just say, the Lord is my shepherd. So breathe in. The Lord is my shepherd. That's your homework assignment this week. We're going to practice that in all the corners of the east side that we are called to go to and to serve. The Lord is my shepherd. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, you are our shepherd. Our world needs you. We need you. Father, as we rise once again to unite our hearts in worship, and singing and praising you. May we make this a personal time. May your Holy Spirit draw us further in, out of our heads, through our hearts, using our bodies, our voices, our souls, to praise you. God, enrich our worship. Help us dream huge dreams about Easter and beyond so that all may know the wonderful love and care of our shepherd king. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.